morning, church. Welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ. I saw that Rob Taylor's watching on the live stream. Hey, Rob, how you doing? Yeah. Hope everything at King's Dominion is going well out there. Um, a, bit, a portion portion of our church is at uh, King's Dominion right now for the youth and family uh, worship service there. I believe all the youth and family ministries in Virginia. I'm not sure if Maryland came, but are, are at King's Dominion for a, uh, for a worship service. Uh, Kennedy Grubb's going to be doing the welcome there and the good news. The good news sharing uh, for us from Blue Ridge. So very cool, very encouraging. So they are uh, with us here in spirit. Um, but welcome to all those who are here, who are visiting. Welcome to those who've uh, come before. Uh, we have a very uh, exciting lesson today from Jesus, uh, from one of, uh, one of the stories he used to tell quite often. Um, but our theme for the year, we've talked about it quite a bit, is communal transformation. That is the idea that we all can be transformed into the likeness of Christ together. Uh, not, not so much just independently, although we, we, we like to stray that way, um, but together. And to be able to, as we change, we can help each other change. That my transformation, in part, depends on Wuju. Like, that, that's a reality. Uh, that, that, amen. And, I'm, and I, I have excitement knowing that. Like, okay, Wuju, all right, yeah, sweet. Um, but that, but that, yeah, that Kayla's transformation does depend, in part, you know, on Audrey Pearson. Like, this is true. Like, we, we depend on each other, in part. We don't like that um, because we're an independent Nation, everything we do is independent. Everything we live, everything we eat, sleep, breathe, drink is independence. Um, but, but the idea that we can depend on each other, uh, and we'll talk about a little bit of that today in terms of um, dependence, not utter dependence, not codependency, not, you know, obviously you have your own conviction, but, but the idea that we actually can be transformed and look like Jesus and that we actually reflect Jesus all the better with each other. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, Miss Kathy has a whole lot of strengths that I don't have. In a lot of areas where she looks like Jesus, perhaps a bit more than me. And so, uh, th- th- in the same way with all of us, that when people see the church, they go, oh, okay, that's Jesus. Um, and that, that, that's an exciting thing. And that's really what we're called to be and called to do. So we're talking about that this fall. And in doing that, we're looking at eight characteristics of the early church. How can we be transformed into the likeness of Christ, but also taking a look at them? What did they look like in Acts 2? Acts 2.42 in that verse there, there's eight characteristics. After the, the 3,000 repent and are baptized, what does the church look like at that point? Um, and so we're going through all eight. We've looked at one another. Uh, we've looked at Scripture. Uh, today, we'll be looking at generous sharing. And so in the passage there in Acts 2, we'll look at it uh, briefly here in a second. But the idea that they, had, they shared, it's, it's actually quite an amazing passage. They had everything in common. Um, and so pretty amazing. So as we, as we jump in and look at... Uh, a parable today. I love parables. They're easy, super easy to preach a parable because you just really should just, I should just be able to come up here, read the parable and sit down and you go, wow, what a great lesson. Um, like really, that's, that's how powerful these things are. And so I'm going to do my best to get out of the way as much as possible here and really let Jesus try to just bring us truth and what it, what it, uh, to bring, take something home in regard to the kingdom of God. Um, and so there's something amazing about the word money. Because I can feel it when I preach it. I can feel the room get a little quieter. I can feel people kind of start to look away. You know, we don't like to talk about money. Um, we don't really like to discuss it. We get, we, we get vague about it, and we don't, it's uncomfortable. Um, and so don't worry. I feel it too. It's not just you guys. Um, but there's something uncomfortable when we talk about money. And, you know, we, we, we'll, preachers today and churches will talk a lot about prayer, a lot about heaven and hell. But they don't talk about money a whole lot. Um, or sometimes they will, like, way too much. And, you know, like, it's really uncomfortable. Um, but Jesus mentions money more than he mentions anything on heaven and hell combined. Jesus mentions money more than he mentions prayer. Jesus mentions money 
more than he mentions prayer, heaven, and hell combined. So Jesus is talking about money. Half of all Jesus' parables deal with a person and their possessions and or their money. So Jesus is going right at the heart of the matter. You know, um, to quote a favorite movie of mine, show me the money, right? Like, show me, like, I hear what you're saying, but show me the money. Like, that's, that's where our hearts can go. Um, that's where our minds can go. And so Jesus knows that. And the world Jesus lived in 2,000 years ago is not different than ours today. Money's a big deal. There's something that's kind of amazing if you look at this, and something that didn't stand out to me until I read uh, Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle, is that when you see people repent in the New Testament, uh, it's, you know, the word, idea of repent is just to change. It's just to change. Uh, basically, it's to stop living for yourself and to start living for Christ. Um, that's the idea of repentance. It's not feel bad. It's not look down on yourself. It's not bad, Drew, punish myself. It's none of that. That's, that's, that's totally not the spirit of the word repentance. But when you see somebody repent in the New Testament, and we're going to look at a few, we're going to fly over a few here, uh, you know, to kind of look at them. We see, a, we see something in common. You know, in Luke 3, when, when John the Baptist is approached about how these people should repent, people come up to him and they say this beautiful question, a question we probably don't ask each other enough, by the way, is what can I do to repent? And they ask John, what, what can I do, what should we do to repent? And John answers three different types of people. And he answers them like this. He says, one, everyone should share clothes and food with the poor. That's Luke 3.11. Number two, tax collectors should not pocket extra money. That's verse 13. Number three, soldiers should, not, soldiers should be content with their wages and not extort money. All three things he says have to do with money. Have to do in some way with possession and material. And those people were probably thinking, we didn't ask about our money. We asked how we could repent. And he's saying, well, you get, it's money, money, money. And it's probably uncomfortable for them, undoubtedly. They probably would have much rather heard, oh, just go home and pray. Just really devote yourself to God. doesn't matter what to do on the outside as long as inside you're a good person. That's all nice and feels good because there's no commitment there. Uh, there there's no uncomfortability. I love Jesus because he's great at this uncomfortable, uncomfortability thing. And John the Baptist, obviously, that you can tell they're cousins here. Uh, you know, John's like, oh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. In fact, it's all we're going to talk about here. Um, and they led by example. John himself did not have much. I think he ate locusts most of the time, what the Bible tells us. So he didn't have much, neither did Jesus. Another example, right? Luke 19.8, Zacchaeus. There's a rich guy, right? Wealthy guy. It says, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold, basically four times over. And Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house. So Zacchaeus is a rich guy. He's wealthy. How do we know he's, he's, he's going after repentance? Well, he's changed his priorities in terms of his money. He's changed his convictions toward his possession. And this is an overstatement. It's mathematically very difficult. If he's got like $100,000 and he gives half of it, 50000 to the poor, and then four times over defrauded, he's going to be in trouble. But this is kind of an, this is a sense of I'm willing to do whatever it takes. He's trying to say something with this exaggeration. I'll, I, don't, I don't care if it seems like too much. I will do it. Uh, I will repent. And Jesus says, today salvation has come on this house, right? The early church, Acts 2.45. After they became disciples, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, uh, the proceeds to all. Later on in Acts 19.19, a number of those who had practiced magic arts bought their, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. 
So a piece of silver is like a day's wage. So 50,000 days wages. So uh, basically if you made like 50K um, in a year, um, it'd be something like a million dollars. If you made 50,000, that'd be like a million dollars for you. If you made 100,000, it'd be more like two million. Two million dollars, uh, which is crazy. Which is like, let that sink in for a second. Two million dollars, right? They collectively give it up and they burn it. And there's a reason these things are, are, are mentioned in the Bible is because they stood out. <laughs> These people are crazy. Like the early church was seen as out of their minds because they did not emphasize material wealth. It did not matter to them. They had their sights set on something more important. Um, and that's the difficulty. And we're going to look at a parable today, the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. You know, there's a, a funny story. Um, we grew up, my dad, my dad and my mom were in the full-time ministry um, for, for a little while until 2003 when they stepped out of the full-time ministry. My dad became a, the kid became a CFO, uh, he's an accountant, so he works in accounting. My dad's a money guy. My dad was never really asked to preach unless it involved money. Like, he was the money preacher guy. He would come up. So we had strong convictions on, on money. But, um, you know, the, the guy who actually is sort of over me in the Lord right now, um, uh, Ed Anton, uh, I was two years old when, when my parents uh, reached out to Ed. My parents and Ed were on the same street, and, and Ed was walking down the street with his then wife, um, Suzanne, and their son, Zach Anton in the stroller, who's a friend of mine to this day, and my parents um, went over and invited him over for dinner. A good thing, by the way, for us, we can invite people over for dinner. Um, and so anyway, Ed comes over for dinner, and Ed will share this story, and you know, he shares it, because he's kind of, a, at this time, like, you know, quickly rising through the ranks of Coca-Cola, and he's very, you know, has this very materialistic mindset. And Ed grew up Catholic, you know, so he's got some semblance of knowledge about spirituality. But he comes over to our house, and he sees our house. And man, as a kid, I, you know when you're a kid, you know you're poor. Like, you know, like, I'm like, I'm pretty aware that we're poor. Like, I don't know a lot. I'm like six years old or whatever, but we don't have a lot. We had these couches that like, I don't even know what fabric it was, but it was like, it would, the little fuzzies would come out and it was really itchy. And, it was just fun. and we had it for forever. And then we had this TV that when you turned it on, you had to turn the knob. And it was, and it, my brother and I would have to pull the knob to turn on the TV and it would, it would make this sound like, Phew. and you're like, why is it making that? It's like a backfire or something. And you pull the TV and then you turn the channel like this. And, you know, like, even my brother and I were like, this is, I don't think this is normal. Like, this, we're pretty poor. But Ed tells the story that, and Ed came over to have dinner with my parents. He even was kind of, like, scoffing at them, like, like, I think he said something. You know, if you know Ed, he definitely said something, um, you know, sort of um, offensive uh, to my parents. Uh, but something sort of like, you know, like, wow, like, uh, you know, this is kind of old school. Or I can't remember what he said. Something kind of like, this is, you know, like stepping back in time or something like that. And uh, my dad just looked at him in a great sort of Mike Mines way and said, well, we have different priorities for our money. And Ed, like, Ed was like, I never forgot that. And he still shares it to this day. And Ed was like, that's how I knew that your parents were different. That's how I saw the difference, you know. And we can, we can, get, we can blend into society in, in, in that way where we don't look any different. And the, a way that is so different, no matter what we say or what we do, is how we use our money. How we use our money. And here in Luke chapter 12, it's no different back then in Luke 12, verse 13. Uh, Jesus actually just finished his teaching. This is great. This happens a lot. Jesus finished his teaching about uh, uh, basically the end of time. And this is completely out of nowhere. But this is how people are, right? Like, you know, sometimes I'll preach a whole lesson on like, like love or something. And someone will come up and be like, hey, that was a great lesson. But I have a question for you about, you know, somebody else's sin, right? <laughs> It's like, but did you hear about what I was talking about for you? No, but this other brother, he's the worst, you know, and, and happens a lot. So Jesus is preaching and a guy comes up in verse 13 of Luke 12. And he says, 
So it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this guy's not really listening to Jesus. He's like, no, I came because uh, obviously our parents are gone and my older brother has taken the inheritance. I want, I want my rightful due. I want my half. He wants justice, right? Um, this is a side note on justice. Justice is a difficult thing because in, when we all cry for justice, and there's a lot of groups out there that cry out for justice right now. Um, I mean, in terms of justice, we always tend to overvalue what's due us and undervalue what's due our neighbor. We always want more rights for us, whatever us is, whoever us is, but less rights for them. And this guy's trying to trap Jesus in this difficult question of, okay, tell this guy to give me the money that's owed me. Jesus replies, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I love that. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, so the NIV cleans this up. In the original language, it's kind of funny. It literally reads in Greek. I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. The title of my lesson today is Rest Assured. Uh, rest Assured. And so a guy comes up to Jesus and he's got this, this problem, right? He says, you know what, Jesus, tell, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I want more money. I want what's due me. I want what is fair. Uh, you know, sometimes I can, I joke like that. It's, it's the principle of the thing, right? It's not really about the money. It's not about the money. It's the principle of the thing. Uh, you know, but you know, it's, it's kind of about the money too. But, you know, we can, we can feel that way and think that way. And, and, and Jesus says, listen, I didn't come to divide. I came to reconcile. I didn't come here to, to tell you what is due you and what's due your brother. Like, come on, man. And, and he even says, he, I love how he uses it as a, a chance to teach. He's like, good point. Let's talk about greed. Listen up, everybody. Let's talk about greed. Uh, and the guy's like, greed? I just want greed to me. I'm the greedy guy? Yes, you're the greedy guy. Let's talk about it with the whole group because this is a teaching opportunity. Uh, and Jesus says, watch out. Watch out for all types of greed. Watch out for it because you know what? There's a lie out there that our life consists in the abundance of our possessions. I saw that famous bumper sticker recently that, you know, whoever dies with the most toys wins, right? That's a famous bumper sticker. And that's kind of this idea, right? Is I see if I can get the most in life. And, and, and we live it. It's UVA for sure. It's JMU. It's college. Yeah. Whoever can have the most. And it may not be just money, but money's a big one. Is it can be time. It can be material wealth. It could be possession. But we get obsessed with that. Yeah. And we protect it. And we can give away other things, but we protect that. That becomes the sticking place. That becomes the most difficult area of our lives to talk with. I, you know, I'm encouraged by couples we get with in the church sometimes. They're very forthcoming. But hey, this is what we make. And this is what we give to God. And what do you think we should give to God? I'm blown away by that. Not that I have the answer. I don't have the answer. We can talk about biblical principles. 
That, that vulnerability, that heart is incredible. Just to give you a reality of, what the, of the time Jesus was dealing with. The Jews around Jesus' time would have definitely, like it, was, it was the law, it was part of the law, to give a tithe to God. Tithe is 10%. So 10% of your income. And, and 10% of your first fruit income. So I think Will, what Will shared today is the boat a lot of us get in. Oh, they're passing the plate around? Let me look in my wallet and see what I have. Um, there's no proactivity there. Uh, and I've been there many times. Like, oh, I better, I better give it, I better sort of just jump in here. But, but, but no, for them, it was the first fruit. It was the, 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 the beginning of week. Once you got paid, money came directly out, set aside for God. It was protected. It wasn't, let me just show up Sunday and see what, what leftovers I have for the Lord. Yeah. You know, if we wouldn't serve leftovers to friends coming over for dinner, why do we do it for God? Right. But, but we, we give leftovers to God and we say, oh, sure, he'll probably be okay with that. But no, Jews at this time, this is just the way it was. 10%. And that does not include free will offerings. Free will offering was like, hey, by the way, the temple, you know, needs a new column over there. Uh, free will offering was, okay, I'll give more than 10%. So most of these people Jesus is talking to, they're giving more than 10% of their income. More than 10%. Average Christians today give something like 3 or 4%. Wow. Um, and our hearts go there, by the way. Yeah. Like, and I actually feel reluctant to preach it because I know that uh, there was a study done recently when, uh, you know, I could come up here and I could say, give 10%, just do it, obey, uh, blind faith, all that. I would never want to do that. But if I did that, most people would probably be like, okay, I'll give 10%. But if I came up here and said, just be generous, we give a lot less. Uh, a guy did a study recently and, and found that out that he, when he just preached generosity, the church gave like 3 or 4%. Um, and so it's interesting. That's where our hearts go. Our hearts are like, oh, generous? Okay. I can, oh, okay. Well, our hearts are deceitful above all things. So sometimes these numbers are in place to help us out a little bit. Like, okay, this is God, God's calling. Now, this, this is the people Jesus is talking to. They're giving probably close to 15% of what they're bringing in. And Jesus is talking about greed to these people. Um, they're already giving quite a bit. And they're already overtaxed by a, a, an oppressive regime. Imagine giving 15% of your income uh, to, to, uh, to God. And then we also have like these overlords. Like let's say that you know, the Chinese invade and they are like, you know, in charge. And, and Bo Chang is like the, pro, the provincial ruler of Charlottesville. Uh, which would, you'd be a great master, by the way. And, and he would like, rule over Charlottesville. I'd have to then, I, I'm, being, I'm being taxed sometimes upwards of like 30, 40% by my, our Roman overlords. By the, so they, they don't have a lot. And Jesus says, watch out for greed. Watch out for greed. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm not, I can't be greedy. Greed is something we, 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 we all hate in others, but we, we never think we have. None of us think I'm greedy. No, 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 I give. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Uh, Jesus says, but watch out because it's deceitful. Watch out. You know, we have an irrational fear, I think, that someday we will not have enough. And we have that fear that someday we will not have enough. And so we then begin to try to protect everything. We try to, we try to hedge our bets. Um, and we try to keep things for ourselves. Uh, we, you know, and basically that fear is at the root of God, right? That the fear there is that we will not have enough, a.k.a. I don't trust God. Uh, I don't trust that God is compassionate. I don't trust that he will take care of me. When the time comes, I really think that God will just look to his own interests. So I better look to my own. Uh, that's the kind of world we see. That's the kind of God we may think we believe in. And so we don't actually trust God. We fear. That's the issue here is fear and worry. This guy here is kind of an interesting guy. He's got a bumper crop, basically a surplus. I love how Jesus phrases it. The ground yielded a, an extra harvest. But what's this guy think? Oh, it's mine. Jesus says, no, the ground yielded it. You didn't earn this. It's the first mistake the rich fool makes. He thinks he's earned it. 
He thinks it's his. He thinks it's mine. And if you read the passage, he goes, my barns, my wheat, my grain, my surplus, my life. It's all me, 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 me. Look at what I have. And there's, so there's a, a big difference. He's got a fundamental misunderstanding of, of where good things come from. It's mine. And I feel this too. I get this. You know, you know Jenny and I, we joke about it a lot. And she'll, you know, she, she kind of like will strategize with me how to like bring up things that she may want to like buy, you know. And she's very good at it. She waits for the right moment, you know. Because my first question is always, no matter how beautiful it is and how awesome it is and how we really need it, my first question is always the same. How much does it cost? How much does it cost, right? And I'm like one of those guys who will order like the soup and salad unlimited at every meal ever because it's just such a good deal. And I don't even like it. It's just a good deal. And I have to get a good deal. I just have to. It's my dad's fault, by the way. Um, but I have to get the good deal. And Jenny's like, do you want that? And I'm like, no, I don't want it. But it's $6.99. I got to get it. I don't want to lose money on this. You know, like, here we go. I got to take the deal. Um, and then I'll have a stomachache later. Anyway, it's a whole thing. But... But it's kind of in me. It's kind of like, I think it's in us too. And we can see it. It's like, oh, prud- you know, prudential or prudent or wise. And Jesus says, watch out. We can fear. And so we fear and then we, we become possessive. When we fear, we become possessive. And it might not just be with uh, money. It might be with our child. We become possessive with our children. We become possessive with our, our husband or our wife. We become possessive with our, our, our luxury time. Uh, studies have shown every year people spend more and more time, dedicate more time toward luxuries toward things that do not matter, they do not have any effect, it's just, it's just pleasure, it's luxury, it's Netflix, it's video games, um, it's, it's social time. People devote, that's my time, I need it. We, get, we try to protect it, and we struggle, and it's always a, a battle, right, when we study the Bible with somebody who wants to become a disciple, it's talking through the cost, yeah. talking through the cost. I'll never forget studying the Bible uh, with a guy here, you know, um, great guy, and he, he just, I remember throwing everything at him, what if you have to give up this, what if you have to give up that, and he was like, no, I'm going to give those things up. Can, we like get, can I get baptized already? Like, is this all you have? Like, can we, no, this is easy. Like, let's go do it, you know? We went to a lake at a JMU and we got baptized. And, and he's doing great to this day. But, you know, I remember like, man, that, that's awesome. That was a heart of, come on, bring it on. I'll give it up. Are you kidding? Um, but sometimes we have to try to convince people. And then it becomes like, I, don't, I shouldn't have to or I don't want to or it's really about my heart. We read passages like the rich young ruler and we, 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 we spin it. We go, well... Jesus didn't, doesn't call all people to give up everything. Just that guy. Cool. I'm out. Uh, we, we, we dilute it. Uh, and it has no power because we, we twist it. Second mistake this guy makes. First mistake was that he thought it was his. That, that he thought he earned it. That he thought it was, you know, he didn't see himself as a steward of God's belongings. He saw himself as the owner. That's the first mistake. Second mistake he makes is that he starts dialoguing with himself. He starts talking to himself. And it's kind of funny. We can look at it and go, okay, it's kind of humorous. He's like, well, what do I do? Okay, I got all this extra grain. Okay, self, self. It's kind of sad because he's got nobody to talk to. But it's also, that, that's how we get to when we get fearful, is we don't include God uh, in the direction of our lives anymore. And we don't include other people in the direction of our lives anymore. It just becomes what we think is best. We say, self, this is a situation. Here's what I'm going to do. And we don't have, he's not dialoguing with God. He's not dialoguing with, so he doesn't say, hey, let me go to a friend and see what they think. Let me go to my neighbor and see what they need. Let me go to, you know, we don't, we don't see that here. He just starts talking to himself. It's just, it's selfish. Uh, it's pride. Um, but it's also kind of sad because he's alone. And he probably thinks, okay, if I, I can, if I just eat, drink, and be merry, I'll be okay. Yeah. If I can just, if I can just have this time to myself, I'll be okay. If I can spend this money uh, on these things. And, you know, we do a lot with money. We all receive bumper crops. 
You know, even campus students, we think, I don't have a lot of money. But when you get that money for your birthday, does 10% go to the Lord right away, first fruits? When you get that extra bumper crop, when you get the extra raise, do you think, oh, good, I really need that for this thing for me? Or do you think, no, 10% always goes to the Lord? And it may not be always 10%. We're not called to give 10% in the New Testament. But I think it's a good barometer. I think it's a good way to kind of see it. Maybe for you it's 8, maybe it's 12. I don't know. I don't really care. But is there a heart of I want to give my first fruits to God? Is there a heart of, no, this is not mine, this is God's? Do we think, oh, look what I got. Look what I got brought home. Or do we think, no, look what, the, look what the ground has produced. Look what God has given me. We do a lot of things when we receive a little surplus, right? We try to, you know, when we receive extra money or we receive money in some way, we try to hide it sometimes. Yeah. We don't try to talk about, you know, hide it. Uh, we try to, or we try to do the opposite. We flaunt it. We kind of say, well, look what I got. Look what I got going on here. Maybe we, maybe we spend it on an expensive vacation. You know, maybe we elevate our lifestyle so that you, we can look like I don't have any money. But your lifestyle is just so elevated. That's why, oh, we don't have any money. But you, but you, you've, you've elevated so that you can kind of get rid of that surplus. Um, do we buy expensive luxuries and we go into debt? Uh, we, we pretend we're poor and just scraping by, you know, or we use that money to kind of acquire power. Um, and it's all because of this, this, this fear, this worry that we will not be taken care of. That's really it. We, we, we don't want to be left holding the bag. And we live in a world, you know, I, I love this great story. The Serbian woman who lived uh, through the end of the Cold War visited America and she said, I've never seen so many toothpaste commercials in my entire life. She goes, we don't, because no one smiles in Serbia. And so she goes, in America, everyone smiles. Everyone's smiling. And it's because of these toothpaste commercials. She's like, I got to go get, and so she goes back to Serbia and says, I got to get toothpaste. I, it's something, and it's, I got to get a toothbrush. And it's something that she never really thought of before, but because of like media and commercials, now she has this big need. It's like, oh, I have to buy that. I have to get that. But we're surrounded by it. We live in a, you know, in a capitalist society. We want things. We need things. I need to go buy things. We think it's normal. I got to go spend, spend, spend. Uh, and none of it really goes toward God, or very little of it goes toward God, or we just give God whatever's left over. Um, but why? That's the question. Why do you think it's so difficult for us? This is a hard topic. I think it's because money is so rooted with fear. Money is so connected to our worry. And we think that if we have money, we have security. And I don't, don't get me wrong. People, you know, I've always thought that, man, if I had a little extra money, you know, this this parking ticket could go away a lot quicker. This medical bill will go away a lot quicker. And then, then I'll be okay. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be secure. Then I could be okay. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a guy, great, great quote. The depression rates in the 1950s spiked higher than ever in America. And the 50s was the best time economically for America. And it said, D.L. Schwartz said that there's nothing more depressing than finding out that all of your greatest dreams don't make you happy. And that's why the depression rate skyrocketed in the 50s. And anxiety rates increase every year. 40 million suffer from anxiety disorders in America to this day. A massive number. It grows every year. We, uh, we're very fearful people, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's not getting better. Right. You'd think with the money, with the success, with all of us, oh, like, wow, per capita income is pretty good. Like, the unemployment rate in America is pretty good. Like, all things considered, especially compared to the rest of the world. But why, why is anxiety still increasing? Yeah. Because money does not bring security. Money does not fill the God-shaped hole in your heart. And God knows it. And Jesus knows it. And he says, watch out. Watch out. It's sneaky. Money will get you in the end. He not only gives way to fear and worry, but he mistakenly thinks he earned it. How about Jesus for us today, church? How can Jesus relate to this? But you know, Christ had it all, and he gave up it all for us. 
Philippians 2 said Jesus, was, Jesus is in the very form God. Basically, Jesus is essentially God. That's pretty sweet. That's a lot better than any sort of amount of money. But if you were essentially God, right, perfect, all-powerful, in community with perfect love at all times, security, no anxiety, no insecurity, uh, just knowing but also trusting, like, what we all want, right? Jesus had that with God, but he lowered himself. He gave it up out of love, not knowing what would happen, mind you, completely. Jesus didn't like, oh, Jesus, but Jesus knew that he, it would be fine. No, I don't think he completely knew what was going to happen when he gave himself up in the garden. He had never been separated from God. Uh, he, he had never gone through the depths of hell, suffered the full wrath of God to take on your sin. But he did it. He does it. Jesus doesn't mistakenly think that he's earned anything. You know, he goes to God. And he dialogues not with himself in the garden. He dialogues with God. He says, he doesn't say, Jesus, what do you want to do? He says, no, no, I, I know what I want to do. But what does God want me to do? I know what my direction is that I want to follow. But what's God's direction? And Jesus submits to God's will. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. Here comes my betrayer. Let's go. Let's do it. Jesus doesn't talk to himself. He talks to God. And he's got these people around him that are kind of, kind of super unreliable in the apostles. But Jesus includes them continually. He's not dialoguing with himself. He's dialoguing with friends. He brings the Peter, James, and John up to the mountain of transfiguration to include them. He asks them questions. He brings them to pray, you know, with him in the garden. He, he includes people. Jesus had it all. And he doesn't try to save himself. He actually gives us a perfect example of trust. Jesus didn't necessarily know what would happen, but he trusted that God would take care of him. And God does. That's where it is. I don't know what will happen if you give up that certain thing in your life that's holding on to your heart. I don't know. But I know that God will take care of you. I don't know what will happen if you give up that girlfriend or that job or this amount of money that you were really saving for that luxury you wanted. I don't know what will happen if you give up some of your free time or all of your free time. I don't know. But I know God will take care of you. Because we have a compassionate God. God is good. And we can rest assured if we know that God is good and that God is a compassionate Father. Because Satan loves to operate in worry. Satan literally just means the accuser. He's going to accuse. He's going to attack. Satan loves to operate in fear. You know, we're all fearful. We're all afraid. And some of the men, I think, probably don't, aren't aware of it, but we are controlled by fear. Yeah. We're just kind of stupid. And so we don't know that we are, uh, and, but we are. We're controlled by emotion. We're controlled by fear. We live our lives because we don't want to lose someone. We set our schedules because we don't want to lose something. We work really hard at a job because we want to attain something or affection from someone. Like, we, these emotion, emotions control us. You know, we're all afraid. Christ was afraid. Christ was afraid. But he trusted. Choosing to trust in a benignant father, a caring dad, Christ gave up what was most precious to him. Christ already lived a full life with no family, no, no wife, no kids, single guy, in an in a, in a incomplete uh, parental family. His dad left at some point or died. He's got a single mom. He's a blue-collar worker. He does, he's, he's hand-to-mouth in terms of food, all his ministry, much to the, uh, you know, uh, 
struggle of Judas, uh, you know, it's constantly being mentioned by the, by the apostles in their gospels. You know, they had no food. They had no food. They had no food. They had no food. Did we mention we had no food? Um, you know, and, but Jesus, that's Jesus, Jesus didn't just live out a great example of trust. He gave up what was his first fruits as well. The most valuable thing, the most precious thing to Jesus was his relationship with the Father. Since the beginning of time, they've been one. They've been connected. Uh, Jesus implicitly, completely, beautifully trusted the Lord And he gave that up so that you might have a chance to follow him. Jesus didn't just show us what it meant to live. He showed us something we can never, ever understand. He went to the depths of trust to be able to show that fear cannot win. Satan will not be victorious if we trust in God. And it's not just, oh, yeah, I trust in God, but I'm going to go ahead and keep my money, you know, or I trust in God. I'm going to say that, but I'm going to go ahead and do what I want with my time. You know, um, you got to show me the money, man. You know, it's it's our actions are important. Um, I love this quote. I quote it a lot, but, you know, obedience and faith are like two blades in the same pair of scissors. The more we try to separate obedience from faith, the more they fall apart. But we must trust that the obedient man is faithful. And that the faithful man is also obedient. If we're going to be faithful, we've got to be obedient. If we're going to be obedient, we've got to be faithful. We do not know what will happen to us, but we know that God will raise us up if we follow the example of Christ. You know, there's a great example, I think, of fear. Here's uh, King Tut's tomb. Uh, It's it's in Cairo, the Egyptian National Museum. And... uh, you have this massive tomb. Inside King Tut's tomb, King Tut, Tut was a pharaoh of Egypt. He died at 17. King Tut uh, was 17 when he died, and he has a solid gold chariot in that room. He has thousands of gold uh, pieces, gold artifacts in that room. And you can only get to this room if you go through gold tomb after gold tomb after gold tomb to finally get to the middle. The Egyptians believed that they could take these things with them in the afterlife. This is where their value was. The most precious things they could offer were here. That was the most important thing to them. They brought it in. Now, if you walk down the street of the Egyptian National Museum in Cairo, there's an unmarked cemetery. And there's dust kind of on the gravestones. Um, It's just across the street. And you know what it is? It's a a burial ground for Christian missionaries. Uh, And you can't even really tell which one's which. Uh, You have to kind of wipe the dust off to kind of see who was this. And what a huge contrast. You have people who trusted in the Lord and you have people who trusted in their things right across the street from each other. People who put all their hope in their things. 17-year-old dies and this is what was most valuable to him. You know, King Tutankhamun. And the question for us is, why do you worry this morning? Why are you fearful? Why are you anxious? Why do you try to save your own life? What does your tomb look like? What are you trying to bring with you? I don't think King Tut was rest, was rest assured. Right? I don't think he went to, you know, he's, or at least when he woke up in the afterlife, he was probably like, man, none of it, none of it came. You know, uh, the fear of that, the struggle. But what does your tomb look like? What are you trying to bring with you? What's most valuable to you? Why do you let fear control your life? Why are, you letting, why are you dialoguing with yourself? Why are you making the big choices with nobody involved? Why are you making huge choices with, with, without God involved? And I don't mean like filling in God after the fact, by the way. 
I don't mean like, hey, God, I've already decided to do this. Just wanted to let you know. Right. I'm super humble now. No, that's not actually very humble. It can look like it. As, it looks like humility. But to actually go to God with a decision of saying, I don't know what to do. This is what I'm thinking of doing. This is what so-and-so said to do. God, please make it clear. I want to follow your will and I'll do whatever it is. There's humility there. There's vulnerability. There's trust there. But how do we build trust? Trust is a tough thing to build and an easy thing to lose. Trust is a tough thing to build and an easy thing to lose. But here's the thing. Building trust with God is easy. Because he's already done all the hard work. We don't trust people because we don't believe that they're really going to follow through. God has followed through each and every time. And he followed through in the most important moment of our lives, which was sending his son in the moment of love to die for you. God's going to deliver. And even if everything goes awful from here on out and we all die of horrible diseases next week um, and, and we have no money and we look horrible um, and, and just everything goes wrong and sort of our worst fears come true, you know, we, we're not governed by fear. And so we don't look forward to this life. We actually are like, you know what? Amen. To God be the glory. God is good. He'll always deliver on the promise that we'll be with him in heaven. We'll have each other. We'll have truth. We'll have life. We'll be able to live life the way it was always intended in the Garden of Eden. To live life without sin, without fear. We know that is the sacred truth. We know that as an, a deposit of trust. But we don't live that way. And I want to encourage us to go after building trust with God this week. Build trust with God this week. And I want to give you, I want to give you Jesus' words here um, as we close out. Jesus says when you give to God, what do you do? Don't let your left hand know what your right's doing. What does that mean? It means keep it a secret. Okay? Secrets build intimacy. Right? You ever have an inside joke and everyone's like, what is he talking about? But that one person's like, I know what you're talking about. You know? Like there's intimacy there. It's an inside joke. It's a secret. Uh, you have a secret that you kept for a long time. Secrets build intimacy. And so there's something I want to encourage us. Have some secrets this week. Don't, now don't, don't leave and go live off on your own. But have some secrets. You know? Have some things that you do just for God that no one knows about. Yeah. You're not going to share for good news. That's okay. You're not going to announce it from the rooftops. It's just a little, a little thing for you and God, between you and God. And when God answers the prayer or whatever, you can go, remember that one, God? That was us, you know? A little, in, a little inside joke with God. And no one else gets it. But that was what we prayed about. That was what I talked about, remember? But secrets build intimacy. Trust builds intimacy. Uh, you know, there's a, a, an old Native American proverb. There's, there, there's two dogs inside of us. One is, you know, one is, wants us to do like the, the worldly thing, the fearful thing. The other, you know, uh, is, is kind of a good dog. Um, and, and so someone asks him, like, okay, well, which dog is going to win the fight? And the chief says, well, whichever one you feed. And, and so I guess the question, too, is we want to build trust with God. Are we really feeding that dog? We struggle to trust God because we spend all this time in the world. We're at work. We're, we struggle with our coworkers. We watch movies that probably aren't the, the best to be watching. And then we listen to music that's explicit. And then we go to bed and we go, man, I struggle to really trust God. I have no idea why. This really is a mystery to me, you know. But then we don't spend any time in the Word. We don't, or we spend a little bit of time and we hope it fixes it. But we don't invest in it. We've got to feed the right dog. We've got to feed the right dog. We've got to build intimacy. We've got to dialogue with God and dialogue with others. Jesus is going to finish up the passage here. But before I do that, and we'll close out with the passage, um, there's a... When we think about being rest assured, that's really what God wants for us, right? He wants us to have a great assurance. Even in our salvation, he wants us to know that we're saved. 
Not because of what we've done, but because of who he is. Right? He wants us to have great assurance. He wants us to rest assured, not going to bed like, oh, I hope the assets are intact. Like, no, like, we have, we, we have our assets in heaven. And Jesus gives a great indictment on this guy. He did not have treasure in heaven. He had treasure on earth. That's the biggest indictment Jesus could give this guy. Sure, you were rich here. But what about, you didn't even know that God's plan was for you. You, you, have, you have a few more hours till you die. Have you thought about that? Have you included God? And there's this great, you know, we talked about King Tut's tomb, right? All the gold in there. Like literally tons of gold inside King Tut's tomb. Now across the street in that, in that graveyard with the dust on the gravestones, there's a, a gravestone to a man named William Borden. And William Borden was a missionary, uh, but he, he grew up uh, in Chicago. He was an heir to a millionaire fortune. He went to Yale, uh, got a degree from Yale, incredible school, obviously. Um, he decides to, to give up his inheritance, renounce the family fortune. He gives about $500,000 at the time, which today is a lot more. Um, to be able to go be a missionary on his way to China, but he stops over in Cairo. While he's in Cairo, he dies with spinal meningitis, four weeks into being a missionary. And we can hear that and we go, oh, see, Drew, God didn't take care of him. God didn't deliver. He gave up his money. Had he stayed, he would have had money. He would have lived 30, 40 more years. He would have been comfortable. Come on, God, what are you thinking? That's how we think. That's how we think. It's our worldly thinking. It's our worldly thinking. You know, he lived this life so incredible. This is newspaper clipping, right? Young millionaire renounces world to be missionary. William Borden. Uh, if, you, if you were to go to William Borden's grave to this day in Cairo, and it's, you know, it's sort of an inauspicious grave. It's, you can't really tell what it is across from this huge museum. And if you were to go up to William Borden's tomb and, and to wipe away the dust, you'd read this. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. You know, that, that, that's the lasting impression. And to this day, we're not talking about how inspiring King Tut is. We're talking about how inspiring William Borden is because he decided to not live according to fear and comfortability and wealth and life and, 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 and luxury, but rather he decided to live for God. And even though he only lasted four weeks and he died in Cairo, uh, we can trust that, that I, don't, I don't know William Borden, I don't know his life, you know, but uh, I, I, I can tell you one thing. He left an impact. He left an impact. People saw his life and go, man, this guy's different. Apart from faith, there's, I can't think of any reason why this guy would do what he did. It baffles people because, that, because the world is enslaved to money. It's enslaved to comfortability. And the choice for us today is that we don't put any stock in what happens here in this life. We want to help bring as many as possible with us. We want to love. We want to reflect God. But we don't live for that. We don't live for that. And it will eventually kill us. If we live for, if I leave this church because I want it to grow, what happens when it doesn't grow? Do I quit? Do I resign? You love your wife because of what she can do for you? Because what, you love your kids because of how they'll bring you pride and honor? Why do we live? Well, we can't keep living for ourselves, church. We can't keep trying to be our own Jesus. We've got to let go. And then the scripture can really ring true in 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin, but where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? For the sting has been removed, that we don't have to fear anything. The only thing we fear, the only person we fear is the Lord, because he is so awesome and amazing, you know, we respect him just that much. Jesus is going to close out this passage with, I think, the best closing ever. So I'm just going to let him say it uh, and back away here. But at the end, of, Jesus continues, 
And we will wrap up with this. And I want to encourage this church to live out these two challenges this week. Dialogue with God, talk with God, and talk with others. It's basic. It's simple. You're not going to others for permission. You're just including them in, in, in your life. You're including them because they... And with others, I think it's good to primarily be people who have the gift of the Holy Spirit. So people who are disciples. Sure, you can go ask a guy, so a guy in the world. You can even ask your mom. You'll love, you love your mom, but your mom may or may not have the Holy Spirit. She may not be a disciple. But it's good if you want to align yourself with the will of God to try to allow, create opportunities for the Spirit to work. And we can create opportunities for the Spirit to work by talking to Spirit-filled, spirit-filled people. Okay? So talking to somebody who has the Holy Spirit, who can guide you with that. It may not be perfect. It may be whack. If you're struggling with people who are whack, Jesus did too. It's okay. Talk with God. Talk with others. And come up with a decision. And have a strong conviction. Maybe you decide, you know what, God? This is a faithful thing to give. And I'm so proud of this church. This church gave almost double our normal special contribution this spring. Okay? 10,000 more than we've ever given in Blue Ridge. Okay? People have made sacrifices. People have loved God. It is not unseen. That is, I don't want to talk about it too much because that's your treasure in heaven. I don't want to meddle with that. I don't want to give you any acclamation here. But I do want to say it's amazing. And it's great and it's incredible and it's not unseen. But I want to encourage us to all take stock in our own hearts. What can we give that's sacrificial? Don't think in terms of 10%. Think in what's sacrificial. What's sacrificial giving? You know, on Sundays we give to the goings on of the church. On Wednesdays we give for the poor. Okay? So we usually say that Sunday we encourage to, to aim for that tithe. Although, you know, it is not a, it's not a New Testament thing. But to be, that, that's kind of the idea to give. Wednesdays that money goes to take care of people who really need it. But I want to encourage you this week to come up with a conviction, a rock-solid conviction that you've talked to others about and talked to God about. And I want to encourage us with Jesus' words here as we close out in verse, uh, let's see, what verse is it? 12, 22 here. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food. And the body, more than clothes, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown to the fire tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? You have little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And all these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Incredible passage. Jesus wants all of us to, be, to, to rest assured. And we can do that by building intimacy with God and by starting to realize uh, that if, 
the greatest thing in life we can have um, is not here on this earth. And we should stop trying to obtain it and just learn to let go. And remember Jesus' words that he who tries to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for me will save it. I encourage you today, get lunch, talk about this, ask questions about it, begin the challenge now. And then we can all begin to rest assured and not try to put money or hope or faith in what God can only fill. Amen. And to God be the glory.